It's hard to believe that we began studying this book, the book of Deuteronomy, more than two years ago. We've taken a couple of pauses, a couple breaks in that study of Deuteronomy. But two years ago, when I began teaching through the book of Deuteronomy, I shared at that time, and it's worth reminding you now because maybe you weren't with us then, that this book, the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, it follows a literary pattern that is very similar to the pattern of a treaty between two different groups of people, a covenantal treaty during the period of time about the middle to end of the second millennia BC, so like 4,000 years ago in the ancient Near East. And these treaties, they were called suzerain vassal treaties. They outline the covenantal relationship between a sovereign, you know, a king called the suzerain, and then a subordinate, the vassal. In Deuteronomy, God is the sovereign ruler and Israel, they are his covenanted people. Now, I bring this up because at this point in the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 12 through 26, which is where we are at right now. We are in the section of this treaty document, if you will, between God and his people, Israel. That is the condition and the stipulation section of the covenant. The stipulations of the covenant, they establish the conditions by which the two covenanted peoples, God and his people, the children of Israel, how they would maintain their relationship. What are the rules or the guidelines for their treaty? What is it that is going to build up or bolster the relationship? And what is it that's going to nullify the covenant? If you are married, then you entered into a covenant relationship with your spouse and you vowed to your spouse to uphold conditions, the conditions, the stipulations of that relationship, of that covenant of marriage. You probably answered with the answer, I do, when you were asked by the officiant, the priest or the pastor who was officiating over the marriage, asked you, do you solemnly promise in the presence of God and then whoever was there as witnesses to take this woman as your wife or take this man as your husband? And they said to love and to honor, to cherish in sickness and in health, in joy, as well as in sorrow, in adversity, as well as in prosperity. And, you know, forsaking all others to be faithful to this person as long as you both shall live. And at that moment, you probably said, I do. And in responding, I do, you were vowing to uphold the conditions, the stipulations of that covenant. The children of Israel, they vowed themselves to God and God vowed himself to Israel to be their God and they were gonna be his people. Back when they were at Mount Sinai, when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, they go into the wilderness, they come to Mount Sinai and there as they are at Mount Sinai, they make this vow to keep in the covenant with God. It's recorded in the second book of the Bible, in the book of Exodus when presented with the covenant of God, the people responded there at the base of Mount Sinai. Um, the first time it's recorded is in Exodus chapter 19. They said, everything that God has said, we will do. And then in Exodus chapter 24, after they receive the 10 commandments, after they receive the beginnings of the law from God, we read there in Exodus 24 verse seven, then he took the book of the covenant, Moses did, and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. 
Moses brings the law to the people and they affirm, they give the vow, we're going to do everything that the law says, we're going to obey the law. And as you look at the book of Exodus and as you look at the other books that follow it, you come to discover that faithfulness to the conditions and stipulations of this covenant, that is key for all of the benefits and all of the blessings that are to come as being a part of a covenant relationship with God. Those benefits and blessings of the covenant, they are conditioned upon faithfulness to the stipulations. Therefore, as I have shared the last couple of weeks leading up to today, the children of Israel are in this covenant. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. They're going to maintain that covenant relationship between them and God in the promised land. And as they're in the land, Moses is telling them in this passage of scripture that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, that they need to avoid or be cautious of two major pitfalls. There were two great pitfalls that Israel would face when they would come into the promised land. So they needed to be ready to face those two great pitfalls. And the two great pitfalls had to do with forgetfulness and unfaithfulness. When they were no longer one people gathered together in one place, like they were when they were traveling through the wilderness. They were all gathered together in one huge camp. It was like this long camping trip in the wilderness for 40 years. They're all gathered together as one people moving together in one place, gathered together with the tabernacle of God right in the middle of their camp. And so the tabernacle of God was centrally located in the camp of Israel, all the people camping out around the tabernacle of Israel. And God is providing mightily and miraculously for them. He's giving them food, manna, every single day. They're gathering miraculous food from God. So they have food given to them every single day miraculously. They have water given to them as they're in the middle of this wilderness. Sometimes water out of rocks would come to them. So every single day, God is giving them daily provision. And not only did they have everybody gathered in one place, the tabernacle in the middle, God providing sustenance for them, but they had Moses, the leader, who had this connection with God, where God would speak to him like he spoke to a man, man to man, if you will. So they had Moses there. Moses is available to answer their questions and to mediate or arbitrate between any issues and problems that they had. But now they're going to go into the promised land and they're not going to have that anymore. And so he is cautioning them they would be prone to forget and to wander. And forgetfulness and unfaithfulness, they, as we were, will see as we go through the book of Deuteronomy, forgetting God and turning away from him would result in a curse from God. We see this very, very clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 27. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 27, beginning at verse nine. It says, then Moses and the priests, the Levites spoke to all Israel saying, take heed and listen, O Israel, this day, you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore, you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. And Moses commanded the people on the same day saying, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim and bless the people. And you, when you have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. These may be na new names to you, but Moses is saying, when you come into the promised land, you're going to come to this place where there's a mountain called Gerizim and a mountain called Ebal. And so the heads of the tribes, these are all the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. He says, the heads of the tribes of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin, they're going to stand at the base of Mount Gerizim, and these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, 
Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. And then in verse 16, he says, Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt, and all the people shall, be, shall say, Amen. And then verse 17 and 18 and 19, on down through 26, we have like 12 curses. Cursed shall be the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. Cursed shall be the one who who makes the blind to wander off the road. So all these curses, cursed is the one that does this, cursed is the one that does that, and all the people shall affirm it, all the people shall say, amen. That's exactly what shall happen to the person who does these things. So we have all these curses that will come upon the person who is forgetful and unfaithful. And all the people in the covenant, as they are in this relationship with God, they're gonna affirm that yes, this is what we are agreeing to. They're saying, I do, we're on board with this. Now, it's important to understand that it's not all curses. Deuteronomy 27 has one curse after another curse after another curse to those who are unfaithful to the covenant. And all the people were agreeing to that. They're saying, all right, we enter into this relationship. We understand if we don't follow God's rules, his laws, his stipulations and conditions, we're going to reap the, the curses of the law. The law was clear about that. Accursed is everyone who forgets the law and is unfaithful to the Lord. But there were also a lot of blessings for those who remember, observe, and obey the conditions and the stipulations of the covenant. And because that's true, throughout the book of Deuteronomy, we read that the children of Israel are to take heed to God's law. They're to obey and follow and observe it. Take heed to it. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine says, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach these things to your children and your grandchildren so that you are able to take heed. You're to remember these things and take heed to them. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 19, and take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, and the host of heaven, that's all the stars, you feel driven to worship those and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all peoples under the whole of heaven as a heritage. So take heed that you do not forget the Lord. You remember the Lord. You teach these things to, the Lord, to your children. Take heed that you not get involved in idolatry. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23, Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make yourselves carved images in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. And then moving forward into Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16. This one is actually key. It says, take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And if you were with us last week, when we were in Deuteronomy chapter 12, three times in Deuteronomy chapter 12, we read those words, take heed, take heed, take heed. Over and over again through the book of Deuteronomy, God is reminding the people that the conditions, the stipulations of the covenant are these. If you don't obey them, then you're going to reap the consequences of the curse that will come upon you if you don't obey these things. But if you do, you're going to reap great blessings. So because of that, God keeps saying, take heed to these things. Teach them to your children, hide them in your heart. Keep them on the doorpost of your house. Keep them between the frontlets of your eyes. Bind them on your hand. Bind them in your heart. Remember them always. Take heed to these things. So we see this over and over and over again. And each time that this command is um, given to the children of Israel by Moses to take heed to these things, it's interesting to me that it is spoken singularly to the individual. It's not in the plural form. He's saying to each individual that is there, take heed to these things. It is as if Moses is addressing all the people who are gathered there individually 
And he is saying to them that this is not a corporate charge. This is to every single one of you. You, be cautious, be aware, be on guard. And this is really important because I believe it teaches us that I must beware that I do not forget and I wander from the Lord as my God. This again is really, really key. And it is important for two important aspects. One, this is a charge to me personally and for me personally. And what that means is that it is not my job to police you. A lot of times we think that, that we've got to be keeping an eye out for all the other people and pointing out all the areas where they're falling short. But, but really, I need to make sure that I am walking in alignment with God's word. So it's not my job to police you. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament book of Romans, he says in Romans 14 verse 4, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. We are often very good at policing others and keeping our eyes open to see that everybody else is doing all the things they ought to be doing. Uh, we have been doing this since about the time that we could talk. In fact, there isn't a day that goes by that one of my four kids is not informing on their siblings of some indiscretion of their sister or their brother. And we do the same thing incessantly. We're constantly having our eyes kind of open to see that everybody else is keeping all the rules. But what God tells us both, both in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, where Moses is speaking to all the people individually and also through Paul there in Romans chapter 14 verse 4, is that I need to really keep my focus upon myself. I need to take God's word and to see am I aligned up with his word and not constantly trying to point the finger at everybody else. So you must take heed to yourself, lest you forget and you wander. So that's the first thing, that this is me personally looking at myself through the lens of God's word. Secondly, this point that I must beware that I do not forget and wander from the Lord my God, this point is a challenge and a charge for my humility to keep me in a place of being humble because a lot of times we can have a pretty high view of ourselves. And when questioned about our morality, we're very quick to say, well, I'm a really good person and to judge ourselves by other people. And the Bible says it's, it's unwise to judge myself by other people because I can always find someone who is worse off than me, who's not keeping the law quite as good as I do. And normally I'm gonna zero in on the things that I do really well and other people fail at. So, this is a charge to me for my humility. In the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, he says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In the Old Testament book of Proverbs, the great wise King Solomon, he says in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So I must beware that I do not forget and wander from the Lord my God and I need to make sure that I'm not arrogantly thinking that I've got everything going on perfectly and constantly standing in a place of policing other people. So now as we come back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 13 today, and we, we carry on with this idea of neglecting God, forgetting God and his law and wandering from his ways, we wanna make sure that we follow these cautions. But the caution here shifts from being forgetful and wandering to actually being deceived and being led away from faithfulness to the Lord. You see, I am prone to forget. 
and I am prone to drift, and so are you. We can easily find ourselves out of the way by neglect, by forgetting God's word. But it is equally easy, and perhaps it's actually more dangerous for us to be seduced and deceived away from faithfulness to God and his way by somebody else. In the book of Numbers, one of the kings of the enemies of Israel, the Moabite king by the name of Balak, he sought to hire a prophet named Balaam to come and curse the children of Israel. Balak did not like the children of Israel. He did not want the children of Israel to succeed and to come into the promised land. And so he tries to find a prophet for hire, a guy named Balaam. And maybe you've read the story of Balaam before. It's, it's in the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 22. And so Balak hires Balaam and he says to Balaam, I want you to curse the people of Israel. And as this story plays out over several chapters in Numbers, beginning at Numbers chapter 2, Balaam realizes that he is unable to curse the children of Israel. He's unable to curse the children of Israel because they were God's blessed people. But Balaam informs Balak, this prophet for hire, he tells the Moabite king Balak, he says, if you really want God's people, the children of Israel, to be cursed, I cannot curse them because they are blessed by God. They're God's chosen people to be blessed by him. But you can seduce the children of Israel into bringing God's curse upon themselves. I can't curse them from above, but they can bring God's curse upon themselves by turning away from God. And so what does Balaam tell Balak to do? Well, the, old, the New Testament book of Revelation, very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 2 verse 14 tells us that Balaam taught Balak how to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. So what was the stumbling block that Balaam tells Balak to put before the children of Israel? What does Balak tell or what does Balaam tell Balak to do? It seems that instead of amassing an army of soldiers against Israel, Balaam told Balak to send an army of prostitutes from the temples of the idols of Moab to hang out near the camp of Israel. And then we read these words in Numbers chapter 25, beginning at verse 1. Now Israel remained in this acacia grove, or this place called the acacia grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab, and they invited the people to sacrifice to their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal Peor, which is the name of a god of the Moabites, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. So what on earth is going on there? Well, Balak, the king of Moab, wanted to bring a curse upon the children of Israel. And so he hires this prophet Balaam to speak a curse upon the children of Israel. But Balaam realizes, I can't do that because these are God's blessed people. So he says, but you can seduce the children of Israel to enter into idolatry and sexual immorality. And if they do, then God's curse is going to be against them. They'll, they'll bring God's curse upon themselves. So that's exactly what Balak did. He sent in these prostitutes that just were around the camp of Israel and they seduced the people. And as a result, there was this great sin among the children of Israel and they experienced the curse of God. It is entirely possible that we can forget the Lord and follow after other things that are not God. That could definitely happen. And we were being challenged in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and in Deuteronomy chapter 12 to make sure that we do not forget and become unfaithful. But it is more likely, not that we will forget, it's more likely that we could be seduced to walk away from the Lord and begin to worship and serve other things that are not God. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul 
in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians was concerned about for the people that he was leading. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says in verse 3, But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupt from the simplicity that is in Christ. It is clear that there is a danger that I could forget God's word and I could forget God's ways and therefore I fall in, I backslide into unfaithfulness to the Lord. But it's almost more likely that I could be seduced by the things of this world, by the ways of this world and be kind of sucked into a place of carnality or immorality or even idolatry. And that's what we're seeing here in Deuteronomy. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 11, we, we saw the danger in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and 12 of forgetting God and, and falling into unfaithfulness. But here in Deuteronomy chapter 13, we see this problem that we could be seduced and brought into a place of bondage once again. So if I were to summarize the simple point of Deuteronomy chapter 13, I might say it this way. I must beware of the seductive deception of the world and its ways. And this is so important, whether you were living 3,400 years ago with the children of Israel and Moses as they're coming into the promised land, or you're living here in 2022, which that's where we're living is in 2022. I must beware of the seductive deception of the world and its ways. Now, the point here is not that we become fearful of all the things of this world. You know, yes, we can be seduced into the deceptive things of this world, but we don't want to be fearful uh, and as fearful individuals become separatists where we cut ourselves off from everything and everybody in the world becoming a cloistered monastic community of isolationists. That's not the point. Although there have been Christians have done that throughout the history. They say, you know, the world is dangerous and there's all kinds of things that could seduce us and bring us into bondage, all kinds of sinful things. So we need to separate ourselves and become kind of this cloistered monastic community. I don't think that's what God wants us to do. But we should beware and cautious that those things could happen. So what should we beware and cautious of? Well, Mel Moses tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 13 that we need to guard against and deal decisively with three distinct seductive snares. We need to guard against false prophets. We need to guard against deceptive dreamers. And we need to guard against corruptive or corrosive relationships. Guard against false prophets, deceptive dreamers, and corruptive or corrosive relationships. First, we need to guard against false prophets and deceptive dreamers. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So Moses charges the children of Israel here in Deuteronomy chapter 13 verses 1 through 3 that they need to guard against false prophets and they need to guard also against these deceptive dreamers. Now, this one may seem really simple, especially in 2022. You may think, well, we don't really have false prophets and dreamers of dreams telling us to go after other gods. But I would say not so fast. Don't so quickly throw this away as if this doesn't have an application for you today in 2022. You do not need to look very far back in history to see that many have been led astray by 
charismatic dreamers and visionaries. In every generation, there are dozens of such deceivers who lead people away from faithfulness to God and faithfulness to His Word. They may not explicitly say, come and let's go after other gods and serve them, but they will lead you to become lukewarm in your commitment and your faithfulness to the Lord. They may cause you to value the values of this world more than the values of the kingdom of God. They may entice you um, away from devotion to God, to be devoted to something that might even seem good, but isn't really from God or of God. It is easier than you might think to be seduced and to become a do-gooder committed to a cause over a God-honoring disciple who is committed to Christ and his kingdom. There are many great causes, and those causes may in fact be things that ought to be addressed, but those things are not God, and they're not to be valued or exalted over God. And some causes seem so right and so good, but we can be sucked into a place of bondage where those things become our idols. So Moses says to the children of Israel here in Deuteronomy 13, verse 3, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This is a test of our faith and our devotion, our faith and our faithfulness. The greatest commandment in the law, according to Jesus, and the very first commandment that every Jewish child would remember back in times past and even still today is what we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse four, verses 4 and 5. It's called Shema because the first word of the command is the Hebrew word Shema, which is hear. Like, pay attention, take heed, hear. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Moses says, don't listen to the false prophet or the dreamer of dreams who says, come, let's follow after other gods. He says, no, you need to devote yourself to loving God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Hear, O Israel, remember, this is what God is calling you to. And what does that love look like practically? What does it look like to love God? Well, it is love that is expressed in six actions, six different verbs. Deuteronomy 13 verse 4, right after he says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in Deuteronomy chapter 13 verse 3, he describes what that love will look like. How do we know that you love God? Verse 4, 13 of Deuteronomy, you shall walk after the Lord your God, that's the first verb, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him, second one, and keep his commandments, third one, and obey his voice, fourth one, you shall serve him, fifth one, and hold fast to him, sixth one. So Moses teaches us here that my love for God should be evident in the way that I act and I live. My life should prove that my love for God is real. If not, if I'm not walking after the Lord and fearing him and keeping his commandments and obeying his voice and serving him and holding fast to him, if I'm not doing those things, then you can question my devotion. If your spouse says to you the words, I love you, but your spouse is also unkind to you and rude to you or talks cruelly behind your back or worst case scenario is unfaithful to you, they, they commit infidelity, 
you are going to question whether or not their words are true. They can say with their words all day long, I love you, I love you, I love you, but if they're cruel and unkind and they are unfaithful, then you, you have to guess that I don't think this person really loves me. So, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That is a command to love God with all of your being. And how will you display that you love God? What is the evidence that you love God? You will walk after the Lord, you will fear the Lord, you will keep his commandments, you will obey his voice, you will serve him, and you will hold fast to his word, hold fast to him. Each of these activities, each of these actions, they, they each could be a message that I could give here on at Cross Connection Church, but that's not really my focus today. So I'm not gonna zero in on these things. But I, I will say this, we are to love God actively, not just passively. When I say loving passively is like receiving his love. Yes, we receive God's love. He has loved us. He saved and rescued us because of his love. He redeemed Israel because of their love. But because of his love, we are to love God actively. We're the recipients of his love, but we should love him. And we read in the New Testament, the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. And one chapter before that, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, John says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So we love the Lord because he first loved us, and we love him not just in our words, but in deed and truth. And to love God in this manner, we need to guard against false prophets and deceptive dreamers that might divide our affections and our devotion. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, it says there, take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And this is not a danger only of false prophets and deceptive dreamers, though it is that in Deuteronomy chapter 13 verses one through three, we're said that we're to guard against false prophets and deceptive dreamers. Moses also cautions in this passage against caustic and corrosive or corrupting relationships. And these might actually be more dangerous than false prophets and deceptive dreamers. A, a lot of times, I hope, the deceptive dreamers and the false prophets, it's kind of clear who they are. Although Moses even says in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses one through three, that, that these people, they might actually do works or predict things that are going to come to pass and those things come to pass. So he says, you need to be careful because if they call you to follow after false gods, don't follow after them. But more dangerous than the deceptive dreamer and the false prophet is the person that we have a close relationship to who becomes corrosive or corrupting. Look at Deuteronomy 13, verse six. If your brother, the son of your mother, the son of your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is as your own soul secretly entices you, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers, of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you or far off, from one end of earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death and afterward the hand of all the people and you shall stone him with stones until he dies because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So all Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness as this among you. The language of this passage is a challenge to many, especially for us living in 2022. And 
No, I do not believe that God wants us to capitally punish those who might lead us astray. The hard language here in Deuteronomy, again, as I said earlier in the message, it is synonymous with the writings of this period of time in these suzerain vassal treaties. They, they had strong language like this and they were intended to be heavy. They were intended to be weighty because these are the conditions and the stipulations of the covenant. So all that to say, no, we are not to capitally punish those that might lead us astray. We don't kill people who might lead us astray, but we must deal decisively with anything or anyone that might lead us astray. Even if that something or that someone is someone that you are close to and someone that you love. Such things or individuals are often the most dangerous because they're much more difficult to deal with decisively. One of the things that you observe when you serve within a church like I have for the last 23 years is the danger of caustic and corrosive relationships. Too many times to count, I have seen people be led astray or they become toxic because of a, a corrupting or caustic connection or relationship that they have with someone. So what is a caustic connection or corrupting relationship? It is a friend, just like he says in this passage, someone close to you, a friend or a family member that you have a relationship with who begins to come between you and the Lord or they lead you away from devotion to him. And this effect is often very subtle. So much so that sometimes it goes unnoticed until the corrupting work is so pervasive that it is almost unfixable. On December 15, 1967, the U.S. Highway 35 bridge that connected West Virginia and Ohio, it suddenly collapsed into the Ohio River and it killed 46 people and it severely injured nine other people. Ultimately, it was determined that it was really small cracks and corrosion, rust, in the suspension chain of the bridge that caused the collapse. And those cracks and those, that corrosion, they went unnoticed for many years until it was totally too late. And then there was this huge collapse. The same can happen in, in my life. The same can happen in your life. There can be cracks in our character because we're broken and fallen individuals. We, we have cracks in our lives that make us susceptible to certain things. And those cracks in our lives, sometimes when the, the slow drip of a toxic or corrosive relationship gets in there, it can lead to a collapse of our faith and our faithfulness. Sometimes that corroding influence is the gossip of another individual. Sometimes it is the influence of false teaching from a friend or a family member. It can be the influence and pull of someone towards something that might be immoral or something that can bring us into bondage like alcohol or drugs. And like the draw of Balak and the Moabites, we can find ourselves where we never thought that we would be far from God and deep in idolatry and immorality because of this corrosive nature of someone that we're close to, that they, they have influence in our life, a friend, a family member, and they lead us into bondage or they lead us astray. Therefore, as I said, we must deal decisively with anything or anyone that might lead us astray. But how, how do you deal decisively with this? Well, look at what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 12. If you hear someone in one of your cities, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in saying, 
corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that is in it and its livestock, with the edge of the sword. And you shall gather all of its plunder into the middle of the street and completely burn with fire the city and all of its plunder for the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever, and it shall not be built again. So none of the accursed things shall remain in your hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you just as he swore to your fathers. Because you have listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments, which I command you today, to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. That is a powerful command that Moses gives to the children of Israel. This is what it looks like to deal decisively with those that are leading people astray. And this is a challenging thing. So that's dealing decisively for sure. But are we going to strike with the edge of the sword and burn the caustic thing or relationship as a burnt offering to the Lord? Are, are we going to do this? Is this what you do as a Christian in the New Testament? You're going to take the edge of the sword physically? No, but spiritually, maybe. Because in the New Testament book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we read, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We're not going to strike with the edge of a physical sword against those people, maybe within the church, who are leading other people astray. But I must strike to destroy anything that will distract and deceive with the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So if there is someone within the body of Christ that is leading people astray or someone in your life that is kind of pulling you towards things that are not honoring to God or they're removing you from your commitment and your devotion to God, you need to use the sword, the sword of the Spirit. You need to cut with the sword of the Spirit to deal decisively with that situation or that thing or that person. If I find that there is a relationship to someone or something that is distracting or deceiving me, I have to be willing to cut it off decisively using the word of God. And maybe that someone or something is a person, or maybe it's Fox News or CNN, or maybe it's Facebook or TikTok or Twitter or Instagram. It might be talk radio or a podcast. Paul in the New Testament book of Colossians, he says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And then probably a, an absolute direct correlation or corollary to this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 13 that we're looking at. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Galatia when they were being seduced and pulled away towards things that were not faithful to the Lord. He said this in Deuteronomy, or I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so quickly from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. 
As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that you have received, let him be accursed. That is about the strongest language you could find in the New Testament. If you identify that there's a person in your life or someone in the church that is deceiving or pulling you away from commitment to and devotion to the Lord, then that person needs to be cut off. They become accursed. That word accursed there in the original language from Galatians chapter one is the Greek word anathema. That person is effectively damned, which is heavy, heavy language, but that person needs to be cut off with the word of God until they repent. Like the, the desire is that person would repent and turn to the Lord. Another passage that kind of drives this home is found in Paul's letter to the Corinthians in the New Testament. First Corinthians chapter five, verse 11, he says this, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. Note that someone who says they're a Christian, do not keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even eat with such a person. Those are heavy and strong words and they're hard for us to make good on and to apply because we think that it would be unloving to do that. But you need to recognize that the influence of a person in your life who's not walking with the Lord very likely will be that they will pull you away from your devotion to the Lord. It's been said it's much easier to pull someone down than to pull someone up. And so if you're seeking to walk in devotion and commitment to the Lord and you have connections to people within the body of Christ, people who say they're Christians, but they're gossips or they're covetous or they are seditious or they are unkind, it's been said that you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so if you're spending time with people who are caustic and corrosive, they will probably turn you toxic and they will pull you away from your devotion to the Lord. And listen, if you are the person who is distracting someone from being devoted to God, committed to his kingdom. The scriptures are very clear. You need to beware if you are that person. Jesus said in the gospel of Mark chapter nine, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for that person to have a millstone hung around his neck and for him to be thrown into the sea. So if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter eternal life maimed rather than having two hands and go to hell and to the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet and to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than have two eyes and to be cast into hell where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. Incredibly heavy words from Jesus. Heavy words from the apostle Paul. Heavy words from Moses here in this passage. Beware that you do not forget and wander. Forget the Lord in his word and wander into idolatry. That's what we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and 12. But also beware of the seductive, and deceptive world and the ways of this world and those that might lead you astray from the Lord. Strike decisively to cut off anything that might corrode or distract and put away the evil from your midst. Do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. And when you do, as we're gonna see as we continue through Deuteronomy, you will experience God's blessing. So Father God, I pray that you would work in our lives because there, there very clearly are all kinds of influences in this world that can seduce us. We are in a battle against the world, our own flesh, and the enemy, the devil. 
And Lord, in that battle, I pray that you'd help us to stand strong. And having done all to stand, putting on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and the belt of truth, and shodding our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that we would take up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. And Lord, that we would be ready to deal decisively with anything that would distract or that might remove our focus from you, that we'd cut those things off. And that we would be a people who are wholly committed to you. And as we are wholly committed to you, that you would cause us to shine brightly with your glory and your grace to a world that is in such desperate need of your goodness. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.